Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. I am your host, the Afro Boy, Prince Unity. Follow me on TikTok and Instagram um, to see my other uh, more direct content. But if you're here for the show, as always, this is the Lost African Podcast, where we talk about Afroculture, financial literacy, and uh, controversy. Um, but as you guys know, today is Monday, so we talk about Afro history and Afro culture, how they intertwine, and how we intertwine as uh, Black people of the diaspora, as African descendant people. That is the more uh, more so of the basis that we lean towards on this channel and this show. Um, but all my melanated people are welcomed. You are all loved. You are all considered family. But you know, this is just how we rock. So, getting into the nitty gritty of this why I wanted to say why I'm proud to be um, of Bahamian descent um, to an extent. And whenever I try to explain that to people, they'll be like, well, what do you mean? So I, to give you more background about me and my lineage, I am a West African child who ended up being born in North America, but my line trims from West Africa and the islands of Bermuda and the Bahamas. Um, my bloodline intertwines with these people because my lineage from all of my ancestors, men and women, these warriors and warrioresses, or warrioresses, if you say the female version of warrior, um, were all sent to the Western world. They were sent to Bermuda, they were sent to the Bahamas, they were sent to uh, South Carolina and Georgia. Um, my grandparents on both sides actually come from those lines and they intertwine with why my ancestry comes up or reveals that uh, I am related to Bahamian people or I descend from those blacks who become the Afro-Bahamians, right? Because that's, that's really what it is. And that's what I try to get a lot of my family to understand that we became the blacks of the western world we all descend if you believe this uh historical tale from um africa as as a whole continent and if you want to be specific west africa but we who uh were taken away via the atlantic slave trade um created these black or afro uh, cultures, places, and things. So, why I'm proud to be uh, Bahamian, and most a lot of that pride, as it comes from more of a warrior s pride, right? A warrior's pride. Um, and I want to talk about the history of the rebellion of the enslaved Africans in the Bahamas, right? How they gained their freedom, and who helped lead them. And this is. Listen in for everyone who listens to my show. Like, share, subscribe. If you follow us on Facebook, if you follow us on YouTube, Lost African Podcast, um, click the like button, click the share button because the information is valuable. What a lot of us don't know um, because we're not teaching each other about uh, Black Pride. We're not teaching each other about our interconnected history because for me, Black history or Afro history is Black world history. We create this powerful impact that we need to know about each other. So there's a Black man by the name of Madison Washington who led uh, the Creole Rebellion 
Um, the reason they called it the Creole Rebellion was because there was a ship that took about an estimated, I want to say, 180, 185 enslaved Africans or enslaved black people uh, back to the Western world. Now, the reason that Madison Washington is so impactful is because if you want to be about who he is in technicality, he was an African-American man, right? So he was an enslaved African who was born in North America, um, who was enslaved in Virginia, I believe. And he was actually, yes, he was enslaved in Virginia. He escaped through the Underground Railroad to Canada, which we will talk about um, Uncle Tom in the future. But he escaped to Canada and he was trying to go back and find and free his wife, Susan through his information through the Underground Railroad and um, other abolitionists. Through him trying to rescue his wife, which actually is very difficult because they changed the names of the enslaved every time they were sold off to a different place, different plantation. That way it's very difficult for you to find your cousins, your mothers, your fathers, your brothers and sisters. So he gets recaptured into slavery and put on this boat. And this boat was sending the enslaved Africans to the Bahamas. Now, he led the Creole Rebellion at sea in 1841. Uh, Madison Washington, through his travels, learned about the British slavery band. And every bit of information sort of gives me a sort of aha or, or curious moment whenever I discover these type of things. So, um, other ships and the the Hampstead or Armstead uh, mutiny all came about. You know, there were all these these mutinies and and uprisings that you see in in relative to like the movie Roots um, on slave ships. And it was funny because. He already experienced freedom. You're talking to a man who knows freedom and he is talking to his brothers and sisters who he just sees as brothers and sisters. We are no longer enslaved. They are taking advantage of you. So he wrangles up his, his, um, his brothers and sisters in arms on the ship. And he was able to do this because he had a craft. He had a skill, which is why I tell so many black people, along with educating yourself in general studies or in selective uh, industry studies like science, uh, legislation, so um, historic to doctors and medicine, all those, like the main compartments that make up a society, you need to learn a craft. And the reason that this was important is because he was able to move about around the ship with more of an ease because he was the head cook. So, um... And this is how he helped plot out the Creole Rebellion. So the rebellion began around 9.30 Sunday morning. It's crazy how uh, direct they have the time frame. 9.30 Sunday morning, November 7th um, in 1941. Because the slaves holding wasn't separate. So there were men and women all in the like lower bunker of the ship. And Washington had his privileges being one of the head, one of the head cooks. He was able to move around 
um, and 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 get his brothers and sisters together to get the plot together. So one of the first shipmates see him and they try to you know get him in line, tell him you know sit down and so forth. And he says, "Oh no, I got a surprise for you this morning because I know the truth." And in essence, this is why um, we always try to empower black men to seek knowledge because a black man who knows the truth, who knows himself, who knows knowledge cannot be detained or put in bondage, whether it be mentally or physically, because he knows of himself. He knows who he is. And Washington or Madison Washington, the black man in this scenario, knows his freedom. He knows his rights. He knows that this is wrong and he's going to free his brothers and sisters. So, you know, they, they rose up. He tells his brothers and sisters, like they literally have this in a quote, you know, come on, come on, brothers, come on, sisters. We must go through with this. He attacks the first mate. He gets the gun and they, they seize the ship together. And he says, take me towards a British colony. Take me towards uh, the lands where slavery is abolished. And he knows this to be true because he was already free through the Underground Railroad. And one of the stories that, that kept him empowered um, and the reason that he gave faith and strength to his brothers and sisters was because of a abolitionist he, he met on his route to his first venture through freedom, which was Robert uh, Previs. I believe that's how you say his last name. is P-U-R-V-I-S who aided Washington on his first escape on the Underground Railroad. And I believe what Washington kept in his mind um, as a sort of uh, motivational uh, character was actually an African rice farmer who became the hero of the Upstead uh, Uprising, which is another uh, slave revolt. So uh, they seized the ship, right? So once uh, overcoming the ship, Washington, like I said before, demands to take the Creole, which is the name of the ship, to a British territory that's en route to NASA. So this is how this connects to um, the Bahamas. NASA is the capital of the Bahamian island. Um, so he says, you take me en route to this land where slavery is abolished. So they go there, they set out. Um, somehow the the captors or the, uh, the the slave traders get information out to America, the 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 U.S. government, and they they instantly contact the British government. They says, "Hey, there's been a uh, mutiny on my cargo ship, and we have an issue uh, with my employees and our property. This is the legal aspect of how they are relaying the message." To the British government. Now, what ends up happening is that they land on the Bahamian shores, and the British government assess in real time, in in real life during this moment, what this situation really is. So, um, the captives they. They get the captives off the ship. Um, they put them in holdings and they tell the enslaved that they are free. They say here on this land ruled under uh, the British government at this time, slavery is abolished. Now, 
um, there was a governor by the name of Francis Cockburn who sent the soldiers to seize the ship, like I said. And as they assessed the situation, which they pretty much had to put them in court because there are legal proceedings to this. But one, the, the weird thing that I actually respected in this moment was that British the British government upheld their forms of legislation. They said that this is our island, this is under our control, this is under our jurisdiction. The ones who are in chains are free under our acts. And they're going to stay that way. So they let all of them off the ship because all the the Af Afro Bahamans that are there right now seeing this happen, they say, oh no, we free. And anyone who looks like us is free. Our brothers and sisters are free. And there were other African-Americans via other shipwrecks prior to who also knew this and understood this and said, no, you're going to let them off this ship. They will not be put back in chains. We will not see this. So you see a collective of black people understanding in this moment that, oh, we need to stick together. And they do from tackling their freedom to otherwise. Now. Um, the reason why I said that there was a legal aspect behind this was because America is still trying to claim these human lives as we know them as property. They're stating that you cannot maintain control of number one, my cargo ship and anything that I deem as cargo upon my property on that ship. You need to release and return my property or uh, hail them there until I come to retrieve them. British says no and so forth. So um, what ends up happening is very, very funny. Now, they're stating on the U.S. Constitution, this is America talking or North America at this time. North America saying, well, this is uh, under the U.S. Constitution. This is illegal seizure of my property, like I said before. What ends up happening, though, even though they did stand by their uh, ruling that these blacks were free as long as they were on this land, there's still the, um, you know, crossing the I's and dotting the T's about how this is going to go over in the in the world's aspect. And at this time, um, they were already going through wars. Other people were already fighting other people. So they ended up paying what you like to call restitution in regular court or reparations, which is crazy. So the committees and all the judicial systems at this time agree that via the laws and how they are written up in contracts in the constitution legally on paper this is your property even though these are human lives and we don't perceive it this way we do agree and we will pay you for your lost property as essay the uh the people they paid them 110 estimated because i don't know how uh factual this is the committee awarded the owners of the enslaved people that were freed at nasa one hundred and ten thousand three hundred and thirty dollars declaring the seizure 
of the American ship and its cargo a violation of international law. So that lets you know that outside of the the horrible physical reality of slavery, there was uh, paper trails. There was um, contracts and treaties, whether upholded or broken, throughout slavery. And it was crazy when I heard this because this was the first time that I heard that you telling me you're and now this is the art what they call the art of war people who perceive that i don't have the gun power to fight you and probably the spaniards and whatever other europeanist power that is trying to take or retake this land how can i avoid this fight money money will have you sit down they said okay we want to stand by our decision how do we uh you know seize this we pay you now here's the thing when we talk about reparations while we're talking about the connection that um blacks again this is an african-american man who led this creole rebellion in 1941 who then freed these enslaved africans who become and remain free on the Bahamian island and they intermine with all the rest of the black Bahamans and the African-Americans who end up just becoming Bahamans because they're integrated and intermingling as one collective black people on this Bahamian island. So this is how our family intertwines outside of my lineage um, being from or being descendants of the Gullahs. The Gullahs were the the group who uh, families were dismayed and dis disordered, but they did fight to free uh, the enslaved in the Gullah Wars. Um, look that up in, during the 19th century. Um, I believe when uh, Abraham Lincoln was president and you know, I think uh, Andrew Jackson was a general and they were fighting to free them. But... Uh, we have family ties. So anyone who is descended from Gullah people um, are cousins and so many more of the blacks who become Bahamans. But um, it's crazy to me because when you think about the money that they gave them, remember they paid them reparations so many much for their supposed lost property. That's money that is added to the overall wealth of North America. So when people talk about, especially us who talk about reparations, we like, well, any money that you've gained, any wealth, I should say, I should put it like that, any wealth that you've gained um, was through the wronging of the enslaved, right, which is our ancestors. Now, um, what I want to dive into for the last few minutes of the show is how there is an African-based root in the Black Bahamans of today, same way there is an African-based root in um, any African-descended person from North America to South America, all the way back to the motherland and all the way in the U.S. world. So African Bahamans, is how they put them in some of the articles, learned to fend for themselves after emancipation, which was in 19, not 1918, 30, 1830s, 1833, I believe, to be exact. Um, but they had the same way the North Americans or the, the Black Americans, African Americans 
when they got freed in 1863, 30 years later, which is an entire generation. Remember this, time frames, may they be short or long, are generations of people. Um, they had limited economic opportunities, the African Bahamans. They had limited economic opportunities. opportunities. So to us as black people, the way that they supported each other, which is another connection between us as black people in general, um, they had a system of Asu, which is um, uh, based and rooted in Africa and West Africa. It's a system of financial support. So free blacks or free Africans developed mutual aid societies to help the sick, the old aged, and um, funeral berries. Same way in North America, we had mutual aid societies and we actually named some of them after the churches, right? So our Christ our the blacks, Christians, and Baptist churches, the first ones were named the African, I believe the very first one was named the African um, Baptist uh, Church or Societal Aid. And there are a few others. But it, we helped each other get on our feet. And there's um, West African roots called Asu. I believe that's how you say it. Um, and they had other societies that were based on um, African ethnic groups called the, I, I believe, Akifa. Don't quote me on that. And the Igbo people. They had dances. This is going into the cultural aspects, such as the Janiko, uh, I believe, or Jenko, um, the jumping dance, um, the groom bay, they all have African roots, and especially in um, the cat island, a lot of their songs have spiritual meanings. It's like there's a, a deeply rooted black American, uh, what we call Negro spirituals in North America, um, Wade in the Water. Wade in the Water is probably one of the most iconic ones on top of our head. Uh, but a lot of these spiritual songs that were sings and used in funerals are very similar to what they call uh, death rites, death rites in West Africa. And death rites is basically uh, an African tradition version of our funerals, right? We have a repast. And I just wanted to let you guys know when, when I say death rights, this is not something that is negative, that is rooted in what you call dark magic or evil. No. Um, through the basis of the belief of Obey, they believe that there are all goods and evils, right? The same way there's the Christians about to say that there's heaven and hell where there are good people and there are evil people. Um, and this all comes around the, the aid in which the path you walk throughout your life and you'll encounter, um, spirits that will help you, angels and so forth. Um, now when it comes to what Obey is, Obey is just a guidelines saying that i believe that there is a realm after life that my ancestors or my family goes to um as they as they move on proceeding past this world 
We believe that this is a sacred place where they rest um, their worries from the physical. All the good that they've done transpires over. All the bad that they've done transpires over. When we go into food and cuisine, what I started to learn was that they also have African roots as far as like chicken salsa and okra soup. Um, one of the, the greatest things that I learned was that there's a, there's a celebrity that is tied to black culture or, or like the black renaissance of film who's actually Bahamian, which is Sidney Poitier. Sidney Poitier is so infamous in black culture. I was shocked when I found out because this is this is what they, they don't tell us. We never know. We'll stare. We'll we'll look at a black man. He'll rise from the top. He'll be glorified. He'll be in so many uh, iconic roles. And we'll never know where he actually come from. We just know him as a representation of a black man on film doing these things. So Sidney Poitier is a Bahamian man. Um, he got sent here as a child, um, they say, to get out of trouble. And he fell in love with acting and the film industry. Now, the reason why... Sidney Poitier is so important because he's even in a documentary about, uh, you know, the black advancement in film was because he crossed over during eras of segregation and color lines. This is one of the first black men who I know as being iconic, me being 27 or about to be 27 this year, who was the first man playing as a character, as a character, this is his role, and he slapped a white man for disrespecting him, thinking that he can belittle him in his presence and his manhood. Like that's a very infamous role because it's the first time that we're seeing during the time of segregation where they say black men and women are supposed to know their place, raises his hand in, in his honor and his manhood saying, I'm a man. You will not treat me with it this way. You will treat me with respect. And if you want to retaliate back, you will get that same um, energy and kindness. And to see that on the screen, along with um, perceived uh, uh, love interest with uh, white women, which was very, very frowned upon during segregation and Jim Crow, um, that was another feat. To see him take these boundaries, and he was so good um, at acting that they couldn't do nothing but be in awe by it. And these were people who were supposed to despise us, not for where we where we came from. They didn't really care that he was Bahamian. He was an image of a glorious and strong black man playing these phenomenal characters, making you fall in love with the scenery. That's impactful. Um, that's something that we should look as a connection as black people. And then uh, lastly, just to honor the fact that I wear these colors, I want my people, anyone who listens in, to know that what they represent. So the blue is, is the scene. It is um, the roaring of the ocean, the flow as you go through life. Um, it will take you where you take you. Now, the gold or the yellow, as it may be perceived to some other people, is for the land's natural resources that we can survive and thrive off this land that is blessed from us by the most high, by God, 
by the creator. Um, and it represents the sun, you know, that we all ride, especially as melanated people, we love the sun. And lastly, what I love is that the black that's actually on the flag. Well, let me see if I can show it. Yeah, so the black that's actually on the flag um, represents strength, which what most black imagery is used when we create any of our flags. Um, it represents strength. It represents um, vulgar that we will stand up and we will rise and we will stand on our ten toes as a, as a moderate use. Um, whenever we fight uh, those who oppose us in any manner, and the representation as brown people to always stand strong. That's what the black represents. And being a black man, um, that means a lot. So uh, I take these things with pride. And I hope that uh, you listen through the entire show, learned something, gathered something, took a different perspective. And I appreciate everyone who continues to listen, continues to share. And I will holler at y'all later. Uh, make sure you like, subscribe, and share.